Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, and shaved gel. Go to Harry's.com/fool. It's Monday, July 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Hey now. Earnings season hasn't even really kicked into gear, but that's okay because the news fairy we got a lot going on has really been kind to us today. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to give you a preview of Netflix earnings. Netflix reporting after the market closes this evening, and we've got a couple of IPOs on the horizon. But let's start with a recent IPO, and that's Blue Apron. Shares of Blue Apron down another 10% this morning. And I say another 10% because this is not the first 10% drop Blue Apron has had. The news hook here is that Amazon has filed a trademark application for prepared food kits. Didn't you call out this very scenario recently on, I think, on Motley Fool Money? I went back to double check really quick to just. And yes, I did. It was two weeks ago, and for stocks on our radar, I took sort of the opposite side of the coin there and talked about a stock you probably want to avoid, and it was Blue Apron. And I think my closing thought was imagine the headline when Amazon announces that they are doing something along these same lines, given the Whole Foods deal and all that, because I think it was just a matter of when, not if. And certainly, here we go today, that headline comes out, and surprise! Investors aren't very excited about Blue Apron's prospects. So, David Kretschmann, our colleague, pointed something out on Twitter, uh, a helpful reminder that right before Blue Apron went public, they lowered their share price going into the IPO, yeah. which was a smart move on their part. But they haven't even been public for one month. Nope. And if you go back to the IPO range that they had, I think just two days before they went public, from that point to where we are today, you're looking at a more than 60% drop. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think the initial price range was between $15 and $17. That's what they were looking for. And they, they lowered that price based on the fact that there was less demand than they had anticipated for their shares. So, I mean, when, you, when demand is lower than you were hoping for, when that's the reason why you lower that range, that's obviously not a good thing, and I mean, it's. Listen, I, I'm. I feel like we probably are just. <laughs> it seems like Blue Apron is making this very easy. We're not trying to. We don't have some agenda. We don't hate Blue Apron or anything. It just. When you look at this from the investor's perspective, it is a very difficult case to make why you should buy these shares. And I mean, just digging into the S one before. Uh, they actually went public. I mean, there were just a lot of clues in there that showed they have a really, really long road ahead just to get to profitability. And so, I mean, ideally, when you invest in, in businesses, you want to invest in a business that has a bright future and is going to bring in a lot of profitability. And it, it's really hard to see actually how these guys get there. I mean, acquisition costs have, we've we've talked about before are somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred dollars uh, per per customer. And when you have a business that right now really is is mostly built on repeat business. I mean, most of their purchases come from repeat business. That means they're going to have to build up that that 
customer base with new customers, which means they're going to pay a lot of money here in, in the coming quarters and years to buy uh, to, to get new customers, and, and then they have to figure out a reason to keep those customers on. And it's not a business model that really elicits a lot in the way of loyalty. Now, I, I will say they are working on a loyalty program, and perhaps that will be something that can help stanch the bleeding a little bit. Um, but again, it, investing we always say is about the future, and, and when you look at the immediate future for Blue Apron, I mean it is just a very difficult job they have ahead. And today's headline with Amazon. Uh, really, just just I mean, makes it even that much more difficult. I think you're right that if they can get a loyalty program right and do it quickly and gain some kind of traction, that could help them first and foremost with institutional investors because this is just everything about this stock screams stay away. Yeah. Here's another thing they could do uh, because I just learned this morning Blue Apron sells wine. Did you know that? I did not. I just when I was reading through one of the stories that you know, and they talked about, and and they have a wine division, and they might want to advertise that a little bit better. Yeah. A, it's essentially a wine of the month club. Yeah, and I. So I like that. I will say I have a little experience with a wine of the month club, and it was something that um, I had. I, I bought my wife as a gift, I think a year ago, and I got her just the Wine of the Month Club for a year. And it was two bottles every month of just a white and a red. And it was really nice. It was good. The problem was, and I'm sure this probably varies state by state, but in order to have it delivered, someone of age had to be on site. So, in other words, if they're going to bring that box to my house, one of us had to be there to actually pick it up, to be able to sign for it. Otherwise, they wouldn't leave it. And what this resulted in was worried that your make... girls are going to crack in, and <laughs> perhaps. But uh, nevertheless, it resulted in a lot of trips to and from the the FedEx store just to go pick these boxes up because it just became this horrible dance between between me and the FedEx delivery guy of when do you think you'll be here? And I'm like never going to be there during the day because I'm at work. Um, so, so the wine delivery was a little bit of a hurdle in that regard. Again, I don't know how that varies state by state, but I mean. Where they compete in this business is people care about getting good pricing. They care about it coming to their doorstep quickly. Um, convenience, and, and, yeah, convenience. I mean, those things cost money. And, and, and when it comes to shipping and logistics, I mean, I defy you to to give me a, a better name in the space than Amazon at this point in time. So that's an IPO that hasn't really worked out so far in 2017, and maybe investors will have better luck with these next two. Roku. Which is the internet TV provider that is planning to go public before the end of 2017, and somewhat surprising, but maybe it shouldn't be Bobby's Burger Palace, which is the brainchild of celebrity chef Bobby Flay. Holy cow, Bobby's Burger Palace! There, if you haven't heard of it or you haven't been, then you're forgiven because there are just 17 locations. Across nine states and the District of Columbia, so seventeen locations. Eh, we think we're ready for prime time. We're ready to go public. <laughs> that better be one hell of a great burger, or they better have amazing economics because I just can't see something this small. I I went by uh, Jeff Fisher's desk, and for those uh, who are longtime listeners, may recall Jeff Fisher, who runs Motley Fool Pro and Options Real Money Portfolios, has a small short position on Shake Shack. 
And uh, when I asked him about, about this, I said, uh, "Do you have room in the portfolio for another <laughs> another short of a burger place?" And he just sort of laughed. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I think I think I might." Well, this one may be a bit small, even even for uh, his purposes, at least at the outset. I think um, they're not looking to raise much money. Well, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they really are just trying to maybe get their feet underneath them and, and get some capital to to maybe grow. And, and I'll I'll say, like, I'm not a Bobby Flay hater by any means. As a matter of fact, I I'm a big fan. I mean, I. Very entertaining if you've ever very seen Very entertaining. Him. And I mean, as as the cook in our house, I mean, I'm always you know, open to, to what these folks are doing because there's always something, always something new or different that they're doing. And, and I even consulted some of, of his uh, instructions there on, on how to broil the perfect steak. And so I really, really worked on getting that done. And a lot of it was based on tips from him. So, so I just, I mean, looking at this from the investor's perspective, I mean, it's really hard to kind of, uh, Justify why this this would work out. I mean, again, it's so small. I don't really think it's going to be something that it would probably be very small, highly illiquid. I think it's kind of interesting that he says that his concept is special because of the chef-driven pedigree. Which, okay, yeah, I give that to him. I mean, it's him, right? And so he has a brand out there that people people are aware of. But the emphasis on professional cooking techniques and fresh ingredients. I mean, like everybody's. Saying fresh ingredients, so that's not really a differentiator, but but really what it boils down to is Bobby's uh, is his famous Crunch Burger, which I've never had, but I've read about this. There's and, one and in I'm, DC. Yeah, well, I'm very compelled to at least try to figure out a way to get a hold of this thing because it sounds like it's a burger with potato chips on it, and I mean I I definitely get behind something like that. At the very least, I'm gonna have to try this at home. Get some nice kettle chips, maybe even jalapeno flavor, something like that. Maybe give a little zip. We can have uh, you know JMO's Crunch Burger. I mean, just a thought. <laughs> I'm not going to take it public, but nor should you. Um, what about Roku? Because uh, we've talked ad nauseum about cord cutting and the effect that that has had on Disney with ESPN, on Fox with Fox Sports. One, you know, I, I mean, people are cutting the cord. We can. Agree to disagree on how imminent the danger is, but you look at a company like Roku, which is playing into the trend of over-the-top internet-based TV. Um, they're in the hardware business. They appear to be growing their numbers based on what we've seen so far. We haven't seen the S1 yet, so I think that that could be interesting. Of course, when your competitors include Google Chromecast and Apple TV. Uh, you're you're picking a tough battle. <laughs> don't leave Amazon out of the park. Yeah, exactly. Right. And Amazon Fire. Um, but I I don't know. Of the two IPOs we're talking about, this one seems like it has. Uh, and if you want to throw a Blue Apron in there, I mean, <laughs> yeah. if if I if there's a gun to my head and I have to buy a few shares of one of these three, before even looking at the S one, I think I'm leaning towards Roku. Well, operative statement there, Chris, is gun to the head. I mean, <laughs> given my druthers, I think I'll just take a pass on all three. And and I think Please I may have a, I may have a couple a couple more stocks from my radar in coming episodes of Motley Fool Money where I'll be taking the other side of the coin and telling people to probably stay away for the time being. But I think with Roku, you keyed in on I think on some of the biggest challenges, namely they're competing against companies like Apple, Google, and Amazon or Alphabet and Amazon. All three companies have very compelling hardware devices out there that link directly into their ecosystems and. I could see, I could see perhaps a Roku IPO being a 
bit more compelling a couple of years ago when, when this was really just still kind of a new space or it's kind of a space sort of still being defined. But I really do think that Apple and Alphabet and Amazon have made such big steps so quickly. And they've made they've made the hardware. I mean, the hardware is basically being sold at at cost. I mean, with the exception of Apple, I, I think you 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 see most of the value is is seen in the relationship beyond the hardware. And so then with with Roku, I mean, it's it's just like any of these other hardware companies, whether it's Fitbit or GoPro. Uh, you know, this is essentially hardware is kind of like that race to the bottom. I mean, their competition um, is is going to be. Carried out on on pricing first and foremost. So, like, why would I want a Roku versus an Apple or an Alphabet or uh, an Amazon device? I don't know. I mean, we have an Amazon Fire TV at home. I got when that first came out. It's really nice. I mean, and the voice controls great. We access all of our Amazon Cloud stuff, so we have photos and videos, and it just works out really well for us. And I think everybody has sort of gotten their gotten their device that they like. So. I, I, you know, what, what does the future hold for Roku? I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't think they're going to be witnessing any torrid growth in the over-the-top device market anytime soon. So they better come up with Act Two, or or else this is an IPO that is probably going to be DOA as well. Uh, the Industry Focus podcast, which is the other daily podcast from the Motley Fool, that you can check out anywhere you find podcasts. Before the Blue Apron IPO, Vince Shen, who hosts the Consumer Goods episode of Industry Focus, they did a deep dive on the S1 filing there. I'm thinking we might have to uh, encourage our man Dylan Lewis, who hosts the uh, Friday Technology episode of Industry Focus, to do a, a deep dive on the Roku S1 once once this comes out. I think they'll get that. Before we dip into the full mailbag, I want to say thanks to Harry's for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. I've, I've said this before, I have been a Harry's customer long, long before, years before they were sponsoring this podcast. Uh, it is flat out the smoothest shave I've ever had. And Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades, they will give you their trial set for free. You just cover the $3 shipping. So stop messing around with your shaving. You got one face. Treat it right. I'm talking to you, Jason. Mosa. I'm jumping in on this thing. We were we were talking before we started taping. You're like, yeah, you know, I might have to do this. I don't really, I don't really. <laughs> I've hated shaving yeah. for a long time, and I try to do it like as infrequently as possible. And for a while, it was just kind of utilizing one of the uh, women's razors <laughs> in our shower, and you know, just scraping yeah. my face every once in a while. Boy, a, a quality razor and some. Good shaving cream makes a big difference. Treat your face right. Yeah, I should. You can get started shaving with a free trial set that includes a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. That's a $13 value for free. You just cover the shipping. Go to harrys.com slash fool. That's harrys.com slash fool. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. From Nicole Robitaille, hey, guys, love the show. On Motley Fool Money this week, you talked about looking for value in what looks like an expensive market. And then she referenced uh, Jeremy Siegel's book, The Future for Investors. And one of the things Siegel writes about is stocks with low multiples, because no one really expects much from them. Uh, And she writes, one stock I've been looking hard at is international paper. With email eclipsing postal mail and everyone now paying bills online, it may seem like a strange time to invest in paper. But I really think it might be a long-term play on e-commerce. 
Amazon has to ship their goods in something, right? I know you can't give individual advice, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on international paper and any other stocks that you think might fit that mold. Uh, great question, Nicole. Thank you for that. Uh, worth pointing out, international paper, maybe investors aren't expecting much, but that stock has done quite well over the past year. It's up nearly 30% running ahead of the market over the past year. Um, do you have to, to her question, thoughts on uh, international paper or stocks that fit that bill of uh, I really you know I remember and this is before Nadella took over as CEO but I remember for years Ron Gross talking about Microsoft and just looking at the way it was valued and saying this is a company that's valued for zero growth yep. you know if they get if they grow just a little bit it's going to pay off for investors. Yeah, and that certainly worked out very well. I mean, it is a it is a great question, and that's kind of especially in this market, you're looking for something that seems like it's trading at a reasonable valuation, and most everything is taking a run. Um, international paper is it's an interesting looking business. I haven't really um, gone into it terribly. It's not a recommendation in any of our services, I don't believe. Uh, but I mean, the pros. It seems like it's a nicely diversified business. It's not like Paper, as in Dunder Mifflin, right? I mean, this isn't <laughs> Michael Scott's not your CEO here. Um, they they seem to be a somewhat well diversified business. Um, industrial packing is the big money maker for for the company, though. Um, so I'm I'm not sure how exposed they are to actual cardboard. It seems like um, it seems like they may be focused a bit more on the packing side. But uh, I mean, good, good, healthy cash flow yields, uh, dividend yield above three percent. I think that's part of the reason why the stock has done well is because I think we've we've been in an environment where a lot of people are looking for uh, good yielding stocks, and, and certainly international paper qualifies there. Uh, I, I, when you look at the the company's revenue, there's there is a challenge there, and actually growing. Um, I don't think it's a business that really maintains any pricing power, and so margins may be feeling some pressure there, and they can certainly feel the pinch when input costs uh, start to to rise. You see other companies that deal with those input costs, something like a paint company, um, Sherwin Williams is a good example, where they actually are able to hold a little pricing power because of the brand and the quality, um, and it's consumer facing. Um, it, I think it more than thirty times earnings today. I don't think it's a screaming bargain, but I mean, as you said, the stock has done very well the past year, and if you look at it over the past five years, it's matched the market, so it's done okay. Um, I, I think one that that kind of stands out to me, and we've talked about recently, is General Electric. I think GE could be something that is probably flying under under some folks' radars right now. We have a big change in leadership there, obviously, um, with Emelt stepping down, and I think that also the business is getting back to. Its basics, right? I think they've shed a lot of sort of assets that didn't really fit the core focus of the business. It's back to infrastructure and energy and really kind of the stuff that it does well. Um, again, another high yielding stock at 3.6%, but it's trading around 25 times earnings. I, I definitely could see GE as being one of these one of these companies that's uh, maybe flying under the radar right now as well. Obviously, a, a business that uh, should stick around for some time to come. But uh, yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the goal, right? We we come in here every day looking for those kinds of kinds of companies. Maybe international papers one we need to get on our radar. All right, before we get out of here, Netflix reports after the market closes today. What is one thing we should be looking for? Um, I mean, every quarter it comes down to subscriber growth, and I mean, we don't really want to make it any more complicated than that. And uh, if you look at their last letter to shareholders from the first quarter of this year, they're forecasting 
adding just over half a million in the U.S. and a bit more than two and a half million international for a total of around 3.2 million net additions. So that's kind of the number you want to look at and see how they're doing. Uh, they're really good at forecasting their, their subscriber growth, so I probably should be in that general area. The interesting thing is that U.S. subscribers versus international basically have reached parity, but we would look at the U.S. as probably being a bit more saturated at this point, with international still being this big opportunity. And so, consequently, international gets all of this investment. And I think always the big question for for Netflix bears is they always kind of go back to this monumental obligation they have to pay off for the streaming content. It's at $15.3 billion uh, as of the the last 10Q, and that number was 12.3 billion a year ago. So one thing I have always kind of looked at with Netflix is comparing subscriber growth to that content obligation growth. And as long as they're kind of in line, then probably not much to worry about. It, it, when you see sort of those lines cross, there could be a problem there. But ultimately, from from one year to the next, subscriber growth uh, was 21 percent. The obligation growth was 24 percent. So. You know that might be one thing to keep an eye on. I mean, I think the ultimate question is: Will they be able to retain subscribers as they slow down the investment in that content library? I tend to think yes. I think they've done a really good job of protecting their brand and growing their brand and really communicating an excellent value proposition. Not only value in the sense of a pretty easy monthly fee to afford, but also it's just an easy service to use and understand and get. I think a lot of people really get a lot of value of it, especially in this new age of over the top. I mean, you know, we've got a business here that's always trading at a somewhat, you know, quote unquote crazy multiple, but so does Amazon. And so, I mean, you start looking at these businesses and wonder what do they have in common? Well, you know, driven leaders, smart leaders. And I mean, obviously, they continue to invest in the business with a much longer timeline in mind. And I think, you know, Netflix is a business going to be around for a long time to come. I would certainly not bet against it. Well, and. We've heard this narrative the last couple of years of, well, there's too much TV, there are too many shows, I can't keep up with all of them, and that sort of thing. Well, that's where the libraries that are Netflix and Amazon Prime come into play because, you know what? If a show is that important to you, you're going to make time for it while it's happening. And then there are other shows where you just say, you know what? At some point, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to carve out the time and do that. And as we were talking about uh, with our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, right before we started taping, Game of Thrones is one of those shows for me that falls into the latter category. I have not watched a single episode. Looking at Twitter last night, I felt very out of step with with humanity as the the season seven premiere aired on HBO last night. Everyone in my Twitter feed was tweeting about Game of Thrones, and I just thought, well, okay, I should probably just turn my phone off and go to bed. But at some point, I mean, at some point, I am going to make the time and, and well, maybe. All like I'm with you. I've not I've not watched it either. It's not because I don't want to watch it. I just missed it. Kind of life went on, and I just it, just not the easiest setup right now for me to commit to all of these great shows that are out there. So maybe one day I will carve as the is time the ca- out. And, but and as is the case for both you and I, we are married with children. Game of Thrones is a show we will watch by ourselves. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's certainly not family friendly, and I don't think it's something my wife would be all that interested in. Perhaps I'm wrong, but but I think generally speaking, if she was interested, we would have probably already started watching it a while back. But I mean, to your point about carving out the time, and like I remember when I had to do this a while back with Boardwalk Empire. 
I mean, another great HBO show. And really, I, I was lucky that I got into that one maybe as it was starting season three or four. So I went back to go catch up on, on the three seasons I had missed. I mean, man, it's like emotionally overwhelming. It's not just the time to watch each hour long episode, but you got to kind of hit the reset button. And I couldn't just watch them back to back to back. So it, it just took a while to really kind of get caught up there. But uh, there you yeah, go. So many great shows out there. We, we last night, Started watching the show that my dad recommended a while back called Foil's War, and I think it's a BBC production. Good show, enjoyed it. It's like eight seasons, and like every episode's like an hour and a half long. So I think, I, you know, I, I like the show, but I don't know that I can fully commit to the rest of my life to that, catch up on that show. That's why the HBO comedies like Silicon Valley, Veep, Curb Your Enthusiasm, they, they don't emotionally tax you, and it's basically a 25 minute episode, and you can just, you know, you can crank them out really quick. Brevity. I mean, just never <laughs> underestimate this the competitive advantage in brevity. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.